Jungle rain had no beginning or end. It grew like foliage from the sky, branching and arching to the earth. Sometimes in solid thickets, entangling the islands, and other times in tones of blue mist, curling out of coastal clouds. The jungle breathed an eternal green that fevered men until they dripped sweat the way rubbery jungle leaves drip the monsoon rain. Leslie, my mom, Silka. Welcome to Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank everyone who's continued uh, keeping up with the podcast so far, and for those that have been providing feedback, I do thank you very much as well. And again, I'd like to apologize for some of the audio issues in the last episode. It was uh, very frustrating, but thankfully it seems like everything has been resolved and is working much, much better this week. So hopefully this episode won't have too many issues, and it won't frustrate me, and I can deliver a much better episode. And on that note, let's go ahead and get into kind of what we're going to be focusing on this week. So I covered India kind of in general, its geography, and kind of the areas of it, and um, I didn't go too much into the people, um, because, um, or at least not as in-depth as, as we will in future episodes, because we're still at a very kind of broad strokes. A lot of the people we're going to be talking about in this episode are very similar to the people in the last episode, and um, I kind of want to get into that a little by getting into some feedback that I received uh, from the last episode, specifically in, re- in regards to um, the tribal societies. Uh, that are in India today and were India at that time. And to do that, I'm going to focus mainly on the um, the uh, inhabitants of the uh, Adamanese islands, uh, and thus kind of like the the ancestors of the modern day Adamanese. One people that are part of the larger Adamanese group are the Sentinelese Islanders. Um, there was a famous case uh, from, I think, about four or five years ago of uh, some missionary landing on their island illegally. Uh, India does allow these people to kind of keep to themselves. Uh, and he tried to proselytize to them, but uh, they're very wary of outsiders due to uh, a large number of historical factors. And uh, they, they killed him. Uh, and unfortunately, they were unable to retrieve the gentleman's body. Uh, the, the retrieval team was attacked as well, but thankfully none of them were injured. Um, but, uh, so, just to kind of touch, or kind of tie in these people uh, with the people living around 10,000 BC, um, a lot of the Adamanese group has gone extinct. Um, or they've kind of moved off the islands and just kind of integrated into other parts of India. It's not a very easy thing. There is a reserve for those Adamanese tribes people that have have had contact, constant contact. Um, They kind of had their own tribal reservation or preserve. Um, There's a very small number of them now. I'm not sure the exact number, but it's under a thousand. But, um, I think from what we've been able to gather for kind of genetic testing, um, 
these people um, are kind of the baseline for what was living in a lot of India and the rest of Southeast Asia. Um, and then, of course, um, due to their isolation, that's led them to develop um, dwarfism, because that's for whatever reason, if uh, you have an island population, dwarfism becomes a kind of a just a fact of life. Um, animals of all types tend to be smaller. And that includes humans. And I mentioned in the Cyprus uh, a couple of episodes ago that there were pygmy elephants and um, I think uh, hippopotamuses as well on those islands. Um, or that island, excuse me. So, um, you know, they have that uh, genetic feature that develops uh, due to the isolation and just due to kind of adaptation. Uh, you being on a smaller landmass, you probably want to take up less size generally just to consume less and kind of make it easier to preserve your environment. And uh, it should be noted that when those people sailed to those islands was quite a while, quite a while back. Um, I forget the exact date. I'm going to look it up here in just a moment. But um, it's not an easy trip. It's far longer from, I think, from Cyprus to um, the mainland. Uh, I think to get to um, just, I think, generally that chain is about, it's like 130 kilometers, which is about 80-something miles. So it's um, it's not an easy trip when you're just using, like, dugout canoes. Um, of course, when they made that trip, uh, it was during the last glacial maximum. So, um, or one of the last glacial maximums. I'm not sure if they'd know that for sure. But, so the islands were a little bit less covered with water, so they probably had slightly more land to live on. And, of course, as the climate changed, they were pushed further inland. Um, but they're, you know, they still, the people there still hunter or gather uh, they fish, of course, that's a huge part of the of their diet. Uh, and of course, I'm sure they have certain types of just, um, you know, um, wild uh, fruits and vegetables that they can kind of live on. But again, they are very close, genetically speaking, to the people that were living in India, Bangladesh, and the rest of Southern Asia. Um, Minus the Aboriginal people of um, Indonesia and um, Australia. Um, basically, these are the descendants of the second wave of peoples to kind of make it to Southern Asia. Um, they had a little bit wider range than the first group of, hum of Homo sapiens that left Africa, generally falling along the coasts, as we talked about, you know, from the Horn of Africa through the coasts of Arabia and then around the coasts of you know southern India, and then um, of course when they made that journey, uh, the the water level was not nearly as high, and that led them to get to the um, the kind of the super Australia continent, Sahul, um, via a mix of land bridges, um, you know, uh, dugout canoes, things like that, and uh, so those people, which we'll get to in future episodes, and I'm going to hold for a second to let's go by and we're back I apologize for that so yes uh, we'll get to the people that first got to Australia and the, those areas eventually um, but um, 
So the, the people that are populating Southern Asia, Southeast Asia, and even also parts of, I think, Tibet, Nepal, things like that, uh, they are they have common ancestry with the um, with uh, the Indian people minus um, what will be the the hunter or, um, the first uh, farmers and pastoralists and then the the later influx of other peoples um, and there's very little as far as I can tell and again my, my study of genetics is not the best because I am not a geneticist but from what I've been able to read from a few of the like genetic studies um, there's very little back migration from southeastern Asia back into India any kind of future um, mixture and also you know there's very little uh, migration from China to the south at least in terms of large amounts there there is always some of course but um, any kind of newer DNA typically comes from either China or India into the region rather than people going out and then bringing it back in themselves um, and that's due to a number of factors which of course we'll get into later but at this point it's due to things like uh, topography geography uh, weather patterns I'm sure as well um, the monsoons in this area can be very brutal and um, I'm sure they're not fun to live in especially if you don't have any kind of permanent shelter uh, shelters so that's kind of um yeah there, there's I'm sure that these people all have different languages that they've been developing from each other they all have their own cultures like locally but in terms of like um, genetics, they're very they're very close to each other, minus any kind of interbreeding they may have had with um, the remaining Austronesians, or um, possibly again we talked about it the Denisovans. There were a couple of different branches of that family of Homo or um, earlier branches of that Homo species. Um, again, they're probably well and dead by this point. Um, but there's always the possibility that they contributed to some of the people in Southeast Asia and the rest of like possibly Austronesia or China. So um, that would have affected um, genetics as well. But generally speaking, they all share kind of a similar like, tool culture. Um, though that is beginning to change, you do begin to see at this point in time a number of different subcultures kind of start to form. Um, there are, uh, I think in Vietnam specifically, or what is now Vietnam, um, there are a couple of different cultures that, um, either exist or have existed up to this point, and they're beginning to give way to a couple of different, um, newer cultures. Uh, the Halbinian, uh, Halbinian, uh, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. That's the English term for it. It's obviously a direct translation from a Vietnamese term which I believe was Van Hoa Hoa Bin um, which is kind of they were like the the big Mesolithic uh, tool culture in China or I'm sorry in, in Vietnam uh, from about 13 to about 13,000 or I'm sorry uh, 10, uh, 13,000 BC to about 10,000 BCE 
and uh, so this is kind of the end point for them and then you get to see a couple of different newer cultures kind of branching off from that I think uh, Bakson is one and the other is Kuyun uh, uh, is another um, they may have overlapped they the Kuyun uh, uh, may have succeeded the box sun um, it's, it's kind of hard to tell and it, unfortunately I was not able to find a lot of good English sources for this um, I, I ran into a lot of French sources but unfortunately my knowledge of the French language is very very limited uh, much less uh, being able to read that and then of course uh, Vietnamese is well outside of my wheelhouse unfortunately um, I am looking to try to get some better English sources for future uh, episodes, but um, yeah, that's kind of uh, kind of where I'm at. Um, it should be noted that um, also the people living in the Southeast Asian part of the world um, they had a much wider range as well. There are some of those. Um, cultures I mentioned that they have overlaps with places in the very very south of modern day China so there's a lot going on and um, you know these peoples uh, will um, remain uh, and you know form very um, orderly and main or very well maintained tribal societies for quite a while until again they run into issues with um, more agricultural societies but that's not to say they don't develop their own agricultural societies there is evidence that they have um, that they begin to work with um, types of almonds or um, peas um, gourds um, and peppers peppers are very important uh, cucumbers as well uh, so this is going to be a very big a hotbed for kind of different kinds of wet agriculture or wet horticulture as opposed to like uh, dry wheat horticulture um, uh, and again this is very early it's very rudimentary it's not true agriculture yet but they're beginning to develop you know kind of selective harvesting and breeding I'm sure or, or not necessarily breeding but selective harvesting of certain types of crops they're being more judicious and what they pick and I'm sure that they might try to begin to experiment how things grow or why things grow where um, this is kind of in a very good region to practice that um, now uh, there is the question of course of rice um, I think right now most of the scholarship leans towards rice being introduced from outside of this area um, and then from um, from what is now China or rather I should say uh, rice agriculture was introduced from what is now southern China uh, specifically the Yangtze River um, though there is a question of what variety was uh, first grown there and where that potentially came from it's possible that those those early findings are kind of um they actually transported it from another location and grew it there 
initially and then they developed one or two of the types of uh, Asian rice that are now grown uh, in the Indica and uh, uh, Japonica is the other one I believe so it's possible that there was some type of wild rice growing in this area as well uh, and then once those um, uh, more we'll say engineered crops uh, came along that they kind of supplanted the local variety um, but again uh, current uh, I think genetic studies of rice show that um, and archaeological stuff show that it was first uh, planted as a deliberately planted as like an agricultural means that was in southern China. I think uh, parts of southeastern Tibet and uh, I think um, kind of the Burma, Cambodia region were also kind of in the running. But um, I think right now most of the evidence does suggest uh, Chinese origin for uh, rice, uh, deliberate rice cultivation. <clears throat> um, now, as for what languages these people are speaking, again, um, we probably saw a division very early of um, a few different tongues. Uh, I think if you look at a linguistic map of languages spoken in the region today, it's a little complicated and probably not very indicative of what people are speaking at this point in time. I imagine a lot of the places today that do speak Austroasiatic languages would be speaking the, that. Uh, so places like Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, uh, parts of Thailand, and then of course Malaysia. Uh, I do think they would be speaking kind of a very early form of those, like uh, of the proto-language for that reason, proto-Austro-Asiatic, whatever that is. I think um, in places like um, kind of the western end of uh, Myanmar, kind of on the, the border between Bangladesh, Bhutan, um, I think there you might see kind of the proto um, Dravidian possibly um, whereas in the very north of kind of Myanmar and kind of the southeast of what is now um, uh, Tibet and kind of like uh, kind of the very kind of south uh, south southwestish uh, what is now Yunnan in China I think there you're probably seeing more proto uh, Tibeto Burman uh, uh, languages uh, and then, of course those are part of like the larger like Sino language families um, so but at that point it's, it's so hard to say because there's so much diversity in terms of um, those regions and again there's a lot of division just due to the mountain ranges um, I think probably like most of the rivers um, have their own kind of language groups around them uh, the Mekong, obviously, famously long, uh, goes right down the Southeast Asian uh, highlands. And then um, in, uh, of course, uh, what is now Myanmar, you also have the Irrawaddy River. Um, so I think at this point in time, you know, you've got a 
mix of Proto-Austro, uh, Asian, and possibly like a Proto-Sino um, uh, language kind of in the far north and possibly like a kind of um, Edamanese language or maybe even kind of Proto-Dravidian. Uh, it's just so so hard to say. And it should be noted that at this point in time, there's probably not a whole lot of people in this region. Again, I caught I know a number of times in this run-up that we're, we're not talking about a large number of humans, but I think in this area, especially just due to the nature of the weather um, and just the, the rainforests in this region and the mountains, it's probably very hard to live here. In fact, you're not going to see a population boom in this region until uh, heavy rice agriculture shows up. Um, but once that happens, you know, the flooding, the rains, that all helps tremendously to produce a massive amount of food, among other things. Um, and that kind of, kind of offsets the difficulties and dangers of living in the region. Um, but that being said, you know, I think this is a good place to kind of leave um, Southeast Asia. Um, very uh, interesting kingdoms. I'm, I've started to kind of get the research of, the, um, of this, well, bunch of regions now at the kind of the early Bronze Age. Um, so I am looking forward to it. Oh, speaking of bronze, that reminds me. Um, ceramics are not in this region for another little while. They're, they're in that kind of pre-pottery pre-ceramic um, trans transitory period that um, we see still in the Middle East in the pre-pottery uh, pre-pottery Neolithic different groups of people but they, they don't, don't have, they don't have pottery yet uh, where we will be going next time though north into what is now China uh, these people do have the earliest pottery um, and we'll be going into a little bit more in-depth discussion of them uh, then I'm going to kind of cover uh, the central part of Asia. Um, stuff that we've kind of already actually touched on um, a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, we'll end uh, after that. We'll probably do one more episode in the far western edge of Asia. Right on the Indo-European step. Or, um, yeah, the Eurasian step, excuse me. Uh, and then we'll proceed to go to, um, I think, Australia. Where we'll cover the Australian peoples after that. And then um, I'll decide if we go to the Americas or Europe afterwards. So uh, I'm still going to do a little bit of research. But yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed. This episode. I hope everyone has a great rest of your day. Thank you and goodbye.